I got lucky because Andy Ism wrote a tweet and asked for people's courses and I posted under there and that was like really the first time I got sales and I got like 20 or something in the first day from that tweet. Welcome to another episode of Hype Fury Presents. In this episode, I talk to Jimmy the Dividend Cultivator. Jimmy created his first course when he just had 500 followers and he sold thousands of copies since. In this episode, you'll learn how to get traction with a Gumroad course, even if you only have a handful of followers, how to start investing, and how to get retweets from big accounts. My name is Yannick, co-founder here at Hype Fury, and I hope you enjoy the show. You jumped in programming, you were a developer. How, how did you decide to do that? So I have an MBA in finance with a finance emphasis. So I actually worked in banking for six years right out of school. About that time, iPhone came out. I was like, I, I got to make iPhone apps. These are awesome. It's going to change everything. So I ended up buying a MacBook around 2009 or 2010. And I started picking up Objective-C and Java my free time. So during the day at work, I'd, I'd be in spreadsheets. So I'd do VBA code. And then I'd come home and I'd program for probably two hours a day. Did that for a couple of years, built some apps, published them to the app store. And then uh, eventually I got lucky and, and found a, a software engineering job in Philadelphia. What was your day job when you started programming? I worked for a consulting company. So I think the first thing I did was work for a project with Capital One doing a mobile payments app. Uh, so I did the back end, back end of that for the most part. A little bit of the front end, but mostly back end. And so, and the iPhone for you was like an aha moment. I need to jump on this uh, train and uh, make something. Definitely. The first time I saw it and I was like, oh, I could use this in business. That was before all these cool like SaaS business companies were out there doing doing cool things with mobile apps. I just kind of saw that this was the way things were going to go because how else are you going to get mobility of your, no one's going to carry their laptop everywhere, but they're going to carry their phones everywhere and they still want to get work done. So Nice. And what was your first app about? So I built a, a mobile payments app that uses QR codes to make payments. And the uh, basic concept exists now. You were ahead of the curve. That was 10 years ago. I was like way ahead of the curve. I was like emailing, cold emailing the founder of Braintree and some other companies asking for money when I had no idea what the hell I was doing. It was a good experience. It was, it was fun. Nice. And, and that became like sort of a side business while you were still uh, consulting? No, this was actually before I was consulting. Okay. That's when you were still a credit analyst. Yep. I was trying to build a startup on the side, but you know, it's like I just didn't know anything. I didn't know how to do a business at that point. So it was more a lot of just fun and experience. Nice. And you, you said you built more apps. What was the second app? What what did you change to, you know, to try and have it be a bigger success? Yeah, I tried to do another app within banking, basically like construction tracking. Apparently that's a good business now too, because there's a company called Built that has raised a ton of money now and have like a couple hundred banks that they service. So I should have continued with that, but I didn't continue with that and that's okay. In the meantime, I just did my work for 
the consulting company that I work for until I uh, moved on to another job and then decided that I wanted to do a startup. Why did you become self-employed? What was the reasoning behind it? I've always been kind of entrepreneurial. I knew at some point I needed to do it. And at that point in time, I was kind of recovering from some chronic sickness. And I was like, you know, I don't want to be like 60 and regret that I didn't do a startup or start a business. And so I just said, let's do this now. And so you had a little money saved up and just quit your job cold turkey? Or did you, you know, start building a little bit of your company first? Or Yeah, we did like uh, six months or so of nights and weekends. I took equity and a little bit of like contracting payments just because that's the that was the way that made sense to me. So we did that for six months. Then we raised a small amount of money on a on a note, and so that was enough runway to guess uh, down the road at least a few months. Um, and then I went full time. And this was already dividend cultivator. No, this is this is separate. This is called tenant loop. You built that company together. You you co-founded it. Who who else was uh, on that train? Yeah, I was I was a co-founder with that. My other co-founder was more of the product guy and did the sales and, and designing of the product. So he was great. Probably the best co-founder that I've ever met. He was the founder. I would say like he was the founder, and he found me through a co-founding dating site called Co-founders oh, wow. Lab, and uh, we decided that we just wanted to work together. It's cool when you find the right person to work with because you know you feel comfortable. You can trust the person to, to move forward. So the idea felt good and the person felt good. So Yeah. And so did you guys sell the company or did you sell your stock? What did you do? Yeah, we sold a year after I went full-time. Crazy experience going through due diligence and other stuff like that. Talking with lawyers and accountants to figure out taxes. It's, it's crazy, but it was neat. So yeah, we sold and then I ended up working with the acquirer for another three years before that company got sold. At that point, I was I was managing like 20 people and doing things I, I didn't think I'd be doing at that time. So it's a good experience to like get acquired. It's cool, but meeting a bunch of people and learning how to do management and all that good stuff was yeah. really cool to see. Yeah, I bet. So you had like an, an earnout period probably and then somewhere down the line in, in June 2019 you started a Twitter account. Yeah, so I'd been dividend investing for a while and I decided to create a Twitter account to post random stuff, mostly like links to dividend articles that I'd been reading and I didn't really take it seriously. So I probably over the first like six months or seven months or eight months or something like I didn't really post very much or anything didn't take it seriously at all and then so in december last year my my company that acquired my company they got acquired so that accelerated my earnout, and i got paid a little bit of money and decided to take a mini retirement and that's when i kind of discovered money twitter what made you decide to join twitter i've been on twitter since 2009 i, I think but i didn't really understand it how useful it was i just thought it was this fire hose of information when i got into money twitter i saw like how kind of positive it was compared to the rest of twitter and people were sharing ideas freely and there were like some courses out there that were pretty cool and i was just like wow i've got all this information that i didn't realize was out there so i'm just going to start following all these people and 
I got into the dividend niche of Twitter and then started learning from other people throughout, followed Chris Johnson. From there, it just kind of exploded. I decided like, I know a lot about dividend investing, so I'm going to write a book. It took me like a month and a half to write the book that I wrote and do it in a way that I felt was good enough. And this is Too Much Money, your course on Gumroad? Yeah, Too Much Money. So yeah, I, I decided that I'm just going to publish this and see what happens because I had, I basically had no expectations of what would happen, but it's been pretty crazy since then because the book has sold like 2,000 copies or something like that and made $20,000 in sales. Yeah, it's been just been nuts. It's nice. And would you say that the creation of the, the book was like, that was the spark that created the explosion of growth? Or how did that go? I'm fairly certain it is because anyone can post good content. People perceive people that have books as being experts for some reason. I mean, I guess there's probably good reasoning behind that. So yeah, I think having that book up front and early on was like a, a nice way to make sure that I had some credibility, even at a low follower count. Because at the time I I joined Money Twitter, I probably only had like 150 followers or something. How many followers did you have when you released your book? It couldn't have been much more, maybe 500. And you saw sales from those 500 followers already? Yeah, so I, I took the approach of like, people don't really know me. I don't have many accounts. So I'm going to price my book pretty low and kind of establish that there's value in the book. And I got lucky because Andy Ism wrote a tweet and asked for people's courses and I posted under there and uh, that was like really the first time I got sales and I got like 20 or something in the first day from that tweet. He wanted to buy courses and he asked, hey, uh, anyone yeah. want to share theirs and I'll buy it? Yeah. And so he bought the course for whatever, I think it was four bucks or something. And then he tweeted out that it's a great course. And and then you doubled your price next day. <laughs> oh, no, no. And then I basically came up with like, like this, I came up with this marketing strategy to raise my price by a dollar every hundred followers. So, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, nice. That's what I did, and it was crazy because like there were days where I'd go, I'd gain a hundred followers or two hundred followers or something, and I'd have to raise the price by two bucks. Like, so it was a nice way to like just get the book out. I had reasons to like celebrate and all that stuff, all this stuff that money Twitter does. What happened on the days that you gained hundred to two hundred followers? I tried to delay the book price raise by day. I didn't want to like jeopardize people. You know, I wanted people to have the opportunity to get the course for cheap. Like, like I don't care all that much about the money that I make <laughs> from my courses because, I mean, I have a decent job and I'm doing okay financially. So, like, I'd rather people have the book. Do you still remember on those days that you gained like 100 to 200 followers what you did? Like, why did you see that growth on those days? I think there are times where... I, People would do like follow trains and I'd, I'd get, since I was so small, no one really knew me and it was really easy to, to gain lots of followers that way. I was, I was engaging with bigger accounts a lot. It just made sense to be able to add value to other people's tweets for the most part. Like I still had good tweets, but like I felt like the most growth I got was engaging with bigger accounts. Yeah. People underestimate that part. You know, they think, hey, if I just tweet valuable tweets and people will come, well, if you have only a couple of hundred followers, it's really hard to grow and you need to 
use quote unquote the audience of the bigger accounts you know and if they engage with you and that audience engage with you that's what really you know spurs your growth absolutely that even happens today i wrote a tweet today about um growing your career in software engineering so i've been like i've made a lot of good friends in in the software tech twitter community so i i reached out to danny thompson i was like hey this might be a good tweet for your audience he retweeted it and then it went from like zero retweets and 10 likes to, I don't know what it, what's at now, but the last time I checked, it was like 40 or 50 retweets and tens of thousands of views. Like that's the, that's the way to grow on Twitter, I guess. Like you just need to make friends and have people trust that you're giving valuable content. Yeah. Did you send him the tweet over DM? Yeah. Yeah. Cause he's got 40,000 followers and like he's following thousand people he's got a day job like the chances of him seeing my content are pretty low but i felt like this was like something that his audience could really benefit from and so it it just made sense to me to to reach out i'm not going to do this like every day like hey can you share this tweet can you share this tweet no that's just that's just kind of stupid yeah yeah i think that's very important don't over ask only if you have real value to share you know hit them up in the dms and and do an ask but if you overdo it then they'll just ignore you forever oh absolutely that's he's great he's just a nice guy overall and can't say enough about how nice he's been to me so let's zoom out a little bit to like trading in general so i know a little bit about trading but maybe people who are listening don't can you explain a little bit you know, what type of traders there are, what kind of trader you are, and um, yeah, some, some, I guess, some basic advice to get started. Yeah, so there's several types of trading. There's like day trading, there's swing trading, there's short-term trading, and there's like long-term investing. And then within the styles of investing, there's things like value investing, growth investing, investing in small companies, mid mid-sized companies, large companies, et cetera, et cetera. My understanding, you know, as a day trader, you know, you buy the dip, look more like short-term technical stuff and then buy the dip and then sell the day after or a couple of days later and, and try to gain a, a bit of money. As a value investor, you, you look more at, you know, the underlying value of the company, the market, where you think it's going. It, that's not for like tomorrow, next month, but could be like over years. And then you have certain stock that you know you hold because they have a good dividend yield is that reasonable explanation yep more or less yeah like day traders are going to be in and out within a day swing traders are going to be a couple weeks maximum and then yeah my focus on companies that i want to buy and hold forever because like if you buy and hold forever and you've done all of your research up front like you're going to usually outperform the market usually trading often if you're really bad at what you do, is you're going to lose money. I mean, I lost I lost forty thousand dollars or so up front when I was younger, uh, trying to be an active investor, and it just didn't work for me. But switching from that to a long term has been really beneficial. But then, then wouldn't you say that if you buy and hold, you need more money to do that because as a day trader, you know, you could go for like turbos and stuff like that, you know, with a Damn, I forget that. With leverage. Like margin, yeah, margin loans and things like that. Yeah, yeah, you definitely could, but you can always lose double your money too if, you, if you're on margin. So 
I mean, it's it's just a risk reward thing. Like if you have an edge as a trader and you can consistently execute, like that capital is better served in your trading account, making you money every day. But if you enjoy what you do for your career and like you kind of also enjoy investing as, as your hobby kind of thing, like long term is definitely the way to go. But then, you know, if you have like maybe a hundred bucks to spare a month, then would you still do the, you know, buy and hold versus, you know, I'm, I'm in my mind, you know, that buy and hold is more like if you have a thousand or more a month, then it starts to become, you know, worth it. How do you see that? If you're at a place where you can only save a hundred bucks a month, like I'd spend that hundred bucks a month in education and, uh, or a side hustle or something like that. Because like, like you said, like a hundred bucks a month isn't going to move the needle a lot, but if you can start growing your income to where you're able to invest 250, 300, 500,000 bucks a month, then that starts to make a lot bigger dent oh. in your, in your overall financial outcome. And I actually stopped, I stopped investing in my late twenties. That's where I, I spent my money on my MacBook and and uh, programming books and things like that because that's what I want to do and that's that was going to make me more money in the long term. Yeah, I think that's great advice. You know, if you only have like a hundred or a couple of hundred a month to spare, then don't put it in the stock, but put it in yourself and gain knowledge so you can uh, double your monthly income or whatever and then start. Yep, there's nothing wrong with that. (laughs) It's probably the, the smartest way to do it. Yeah. And so did you start dividend investing when you sold your um, shares or was it before then? Yeah, it was was before then. I started investing like, I don't know, 700 bucks a month into a dividend account on top of like my retirement savings. And yeah, so I just started building that and throwing any any extra cash, like bonuses and things like that into into the dividend account uh, because I wanted to raise my income. And that was like the easiest way for me to do it. Nice. And so walk us through a little bit how you look at a company, how you analyze it, and when and why you decide to buy and hold. So like you, you want to find high-quality companies. And so there's there's a few ways that you can do that. And one of the things that I, I look at is how have they grown their dividend over the years? Because that's kind of like an indication of how well the company is doing. If they can't grow their revenues and their profits and all that stuff, over time, then they aren't going to be able to grow their dividend. So that's one thing. I look at credit ratings of companies. So if they go out and try to borrow money, if you're a public company, you typically do that through bonds. Bond analysts are very, very conservative. So if they see any risk in you, then they will give you a, rat, a really bad credit rating. And those, those credit ratings are public, or you can find them through your broker usually. So I like to look at that. And there's like classifications of investment grade versus junk bond. So I always want to be in an investment grade type of stock. I look at how well they're able to cover the dividend payment. So that's called like a payout ratio. There's different ones that you can look at, but I like to look at free cash flow, payout ratios or funds from operations, from REITs and uh, distributable cash flow for uh, master limited partnerships, which are usually oil companies. Hmm. So um, how, how does payout ratio work? Let's say uh, a company had uh, made a hundred million dollar profit in a quarter. What, what would be the decent payout ratio? 
So there's that all depends. Like there's some companies that only pay out maybe twenty percent of that as a dividend, and there would be companies like Apple or Microsoft, companies that are still growing and still have really high returns on their capital that they can make. But then there's other companies like a Philip Morris or AT and T where they're they're paying out sixty percent of those earnings as uh, as dividends. So. And so the higher the payout ratio, that also means they already have a lot of money in the bank. They can pay a lot of dividend because they know if they have a setback, then they still have enough money to pay for operations. Typically, yeah. Like so, if you look at AT and T, like they're generating billions, and billions of free cash flow. Basically, they can reinvest some of it. Most of it they can't reinvest, so they just pay it out as dividends. So if you're a higher yield investor, you typically gravitate towards those types of companies because they're pretty stable and you can you can make a decent dividend return on it. They're not going to grow as fast as your Apples and Microsofts, but if you're looking for income, then you don't really care. Yeah, then you just care about, you know, how much dividend am I getting per dollar spent on the stock? Yep, as long as they're safe. Interesting. And so why did you start Dividend Cultivator? I don't know. I guess it was because I I had some free time <laughs> after. Yeah, I took that mini retirement after the company sold, and now I was just browsing through Twitter, and uh, I was like, "This is fun." So I decided to spend some time doing that. And dividend cultivator was like it was just a way to pass some free time, and it ended up being really fun to do. I've made a lot of friends and been able to help a lot of people. So. Nice, nice, and I thought I thought I saw some kind of a software. Oh yeah, that's the app. I have a web app. That's like a research uh... tool. Yeah, I'd been building a web-based tool for a while in my free time while I was after the company that I I started was acquired. I started building a tool with some APIs that were available to get market data and things like that. I did that, and then eventually the, the data crashed, and I kind of abandoned the project. But I decided that since I started growing the project, or growing the Twitter following for a while, that maybe it was time to restart that project. So I think in March or April, I, I decided to really get going on that and kind of have a software as a service. It's pretty cheap uh, compared to all the other stuff that I've seen out there, where people can just research their their dividend stocks that they want and um yeah we have a chat community as well we talk on there a little bit and um yeah it's just a nice way to to research dividend stocks if you're if you're into that sort of thing so i use it pretty much every day just to see what's out there and then have content that i can share on twitter as well so run us through it well let's say i'm new i have a thousand dollars a month to uh, put into a dividend uh, stock what would i see in the app why would i want to use it yeah i mean if you're just starting i actually wouldn't use the app i'd almost like just tell you to buy an etf so an index fund of dividend paying stocks just to like get your feet wet and get comfortable with losing but once you graduate beyond that and you want to get into more higher yielding type of stuff, then it's probably a good way to like jump in and I can do a demo or whatever at some point. But like, basically I have some criteria that I have. I want to have like a dividend growth that beats inflation. I want to have a yield that's pretty high, maybe above three or 4%. And then 
and I want to be in good certain industries, basically. So I have filters within that I've built within the app to be able to filter on those criteria. And then I have some alerting, basically email alerts when dividends get paid out and things like that. So it's kind of like a go in and research all these 200 something decent dividend paying companies that are growing their dividends over time and then watch those stocks and then get alerted when, when things happen to them. Cool. So your typical advice would be if you're just starting out with uh, stocks or dividends is just buy an ETF fund because, you know, then you'll have lower risk. You'll be, you know, you'll be investing in hundreds of companies versus just one or two. And then at what point in time would you start buying separate stock? Yeah. So I would say like if you don't want to spend time researching, then stick with ETFs. But if you want to spend... 15 to 30 minutes a week doing a little bit of research and you want to get some higher yields than are available in most funds, then that's when you start looking at individual stocks because most funds are pretty crappy in terms of how much they pay. Like it's only like 2%, 3% at this point. But if you start moving over to individual stocks, you can get higher 4% to 7 or 8% relatively safely. So if you want that higher income, you kind of have to go to individual stocks. Yeah, but so for 15, 30 minutes a week, that doesn't sound that bad to like triple your yield. Uh, that's what I would say. But, you know, everyone has their own life and some people aren't financially inclined or they just don't want to do it. And that's okay. I'm not going to judge anyone for that. Everyone's got to make their own decisions on what they want to do. So 15 to 30 minutes seems like a pretty good investment for that. To me so and that includes like using your app and and just looking at different uh, stocks seeing their dividend growth and uh, their their dividend yield or what else what kind of research would you do yeah so i would i'd look at um the financial statements usually you can usually find when things are starting to go bad with the company from their financial statements those are the primary things that i look at like annual reports and financial statements from companies because you can glean so much information from that things about the company's strategy. Reading one research report a week would be like 30 minutes. And um, I tried to structure the app so that you can save all your criteria and reload it every time you load up the app. So it's really just, you're going to see the same a lot of the same things. And then once something new comes, that's when you start to dive into that, that stock. All right. Let's move back to your uh, Twitter journey. Because in like a year, 18 months time, you've amassed over 17,000 followers. What would you say were like the big jumps you made? You already said, you know, my book did a lot of things. I, I, you know, I connected with a lot of bigger accounts. What other things have you seen that really moved the needle? Yeah, so I think one of the mistakes that a lot of people do that join Money Twitter specifically is they try to stay within Money Twitter. That's cool, but like... If you want to grow, you, you need to find other niches that you have some knowledge about and reach out. And that's how you bring people in to your bubble, I'd say. So that's one thing. So I, I was talking about dividend investing, and then I moved out to software, more recently software investing, and I'm thinking about moving into some other things, but we'll see how much that does. And then obviously, like I'm going to talk about hype theory. I was using TweetDeck and Hootsuite. For a while, they were okay, but it was really just painful 
to to do a lot of the tweet scheduling. <laughs> so, I fear is an upgrade. Yeah, it's it's definitely. You know, I tried to try other things, but this was just the best product out there. I think one of the big things that I like is the evergreen content personally, because I've had a lot of pretty decent tweets that have done pretty well, and so having those being able to automatically retweet, get engagement while I may not have uh, time to write good content has been nice and still like even if I was out for a day or two, I could still just rely on Hype Fury to send out tweets all day and and I'd still gain fifty to hundred followers a day just off of evergreen tweets. I guess the other thing that I use often is the auto retweets obviously the audience on Twitter is very transient, so nine hours after my original tweet goes out, I retweet just to get a different audience. And then um, promo tweets as well, like after a certain number of retweets and likes, I, I typically put a, a promo tweet for my book. So those those have been like really nice to me. Cool. And so you mentioned that you go outside of money Twitter, you don't stay inside that bubble, and you reach out to other audiences. What do you literally do then? Is it reach out to other people in the DMs, or do you start tweeting about a different topic and then also connect with others, engage with other tweets? What do you do? So I found that just engaging under other accounts is the best way to do it. Like if I started tweeting about soccer on my account, I could be stupid. I'm sure I have. I know I have a few people that are that are interested in soccer, but why would I make my main tweet about soccer unless there's like a financial spin to it? So I typically just engage under other big accounts. That way, like, there's that odd chance that you'll get a retweet from that large account, but mostly you'll get eyes on on your profile if you uh, tweet under bigger accounts. What kind of metrics do you look at before adding uh, an account to your uh, like notification list? I usually just like to observe what they do. And like, there's certain accounts where they like to retweet people that comment under them. And retweets are the lifeblood of Twitter. I observe first. And if they have a habit of retweeting others, then that's an account that I probably want to engage with a little bit more. Not that I, I won't engage with others, but they're going to get that notification bell first. Yeah. And do you have like, uh, they need to have a minimum of 10,000 followers or 50 or a hundred or how do you look at it? Or a minimum of a hundred retweets per tweet or. No, I don't measure that. I guess like if you're at account my size, like I guess it, it probably makes sense to have some sort of metric, like at least two times your size or something like that. But if you're under, if you're like a really small account, like 100 to 500, like it doesn't really matter because you, you can still get tons of organic reach through any account that's of, that's a thousand or more, in my opinion. So I don't really care too much about that anymore. I, I don't really care all that much about growth. Nice. So what do people have to do to be retweeted by you? I like funny content. And also like if you've got actually really valuable like a lot of people will just comment hey cool that's a great idea or something like that and like that's not going to get a retweet why would i retweet that so people need to people need to write tweets that can be standalone tweets that's the biggest mistake that i i probably see if i'm commenting under someone else 
then I write my tweet in a way that if they saw it on my timeline, they'd like it anyways, or they'd retweet it anyways. That makes it easier for, I guess, a bigger account in quotation marks to, to want to retweet your, your content. Uh, that's a very good tip as well. It's very underrated. You know, you see a lot of people that actually, you know, when you read the first tweet and then you read the comment, then it makes sense. But if you just read the comment, then it makes no sense. And it also makes no sense for someone to retweet that. So I think that's a really good tip. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, where can people reach you? You can follow me on Twitter, Div Cultivator. I've got a, got a blog at dividendcultivator.com. And then... Um, Email is dividendcultivator at gmail.com. So any of those work pretty well to reach me. And my DMs are open on Twitter. So I'm happy to talk with people. Thank you, Jimmy. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. That's a wrap on this week's episode. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. If you've enjoyed the show, I'd appreciate it if you left an iTunes review and a shout out on Twitter. See you again next week. 